वेलकम टू सिम टॉक The Sim Talkers around the table today discuss the geography behind history. We discuss the potential role played by geography, ecology, biology, via genetics in some form, on what happens and why. Is history only social, or is there an environmental side to it? How did man go from being a hunter-gatherer to leading a life that we lead today, which is less nomadic? Is there a link between wars, invasions, and geography? Do generalists survive better than specialists in evolution? And what are the tensions between cultural history and environmental history in a general way? You're pleased and privileged to have four and talkers around the table today. Professor Sheila Mishra, who is an archaeologist. Her research particularly focuses on the role of the Indian subcontinent in the evolution of human beings. She is from Deccan College in Pune. Aman Nath, who is the founder of Neem Rana Hotels and wears many hats, and works in the areas like. history arts architecture and restoration Anupam Shah who was born in Nainital he is a heritage conservation restoration practitioner strategist and educator and works with a systems approach based on the interrelatedness of things and we have Prof Milind Watwe who is a biologist from Mysore Pune the curiosity about almost everything milan maybe we set the ball rolling with you to understand how things have come to be where they are over the last many 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 centuries and millennia and how does environment end up getting encoded in genes and in in our societies and in culture from a from a biological standpoint the way you see it yes um let me make one point clear first that when yeah. we talk about history yeah. there are two distinct things mm-hmm. one is the facts and accidents of history mm-hmm. which are mostly which is what we learn in school history yeah right the other is principles of history mm-hmm. okay which is about the question why okay, right and which is about generalizations right so for example we see that uh, most of the big invasions in history mm-hmm. came from areas of uh, grassland or semi arid land or slightly environmentally destructed land mm-hmm. almost never in the history communities from uh, a rich forest or a rain forest invaded others right so okay. this will be like the chengiz so, khan invasion right right, right. so right. so they yeah. are all from the uh, uh, grassland from the grass dominated steppes or the yes. Yeah. yes yeah yeah so i think that geography shapes ecology ecology mm-hmm. shapes human behavior mm-hmm. and human behavior ultimately shapes history right okay. right so that right. should be a, a, a broad generalization mm-hmm. we can have several uh, examples of this coming from everyone right uh, right right how exactly that happens right but th- th- does something like that lead to genetic changes over time i mean is can you can you look at a gene and say all right this is from so and so place sure, generally sure. speaking or is that uh, a dumb question yes so humans all over the world evolved in very different uh, climates very mm-hmm. different ecologies mm-hmm. and accordingly they changed okay right. there are two things one is uh, some changes are adaptive yeah some changes are adaptive to the temperature too much of sunlight or too little sunlight okay other changes are random yeah okay they have nothing to do with Uh, they they can happen by chance right uh, there is something called founder effect so mm-hmm. generally the populations are founded by a handful of people mm-hmm. okay people maybe a small band migrated and settled in a new area right right, right. and they carry a set of genes with them which right. is a subset of the whole okay. right and because they happen to carry genes for curly hair the entire population in the new area might have curly hair 
Right. Okay. <laughs> so some of these changes right. have mm. nothing to do with uh, adaptation. Right. Okay. They are right. just accidents of history right. or founder effects. Right. Okay. Right. Right. And often it is difficult to segregate the two. Mm-hmm. But we do find that humans in different areas mm-hmm. uh, have substantial differences in not only their uh, skin color, hair and eyes, but also in their physiology. Right. That's the phenotype side of it. Is the, is the genotype different as well? And how, how different uh, is that? Yes. Now, today we have the entire human genome sequenced and mm. that is a big tool. And there are many surprises to come as well. Right. Okay. So, often <laughs> mm. people... Uh, often about things that people were, the people thought them to be genetic, right. did not turn out to be genetic. Oh, that's very okay. interesting. But that's very uh, interesting. yeah, but at the same time, uh, we can certainly see certain subtle differences mm. in some what are called uh, single locus polymorphism. Okay. okay, that you see across geographic areas, okay. mm-hmm. across endemic groups. And people are trying to infer histories based on that. Right. I'm not an expert in that field. But right. Uh, right. All I know right. is very some interesting. interesting things in history are likely to be uh, rewritten because of genetic studies. So, Sheila, how do you think about that? Is I mean, with with the human genome mapped out, do you look at history? And yeah, I mean, obviously, the, you, this there must uh, whole be ton genetic of thing has, been, has revolutionized our ideas about so many things. Right. But it's still like it's difficult to keep up with the the new ideas that come out. Mm-hmm. So the initial thing was about the genetic diversity of people alive today. Right. So that told one story, but now they are get, actually extracting DNA from. People who have died a long time ago, and now they're in their yeah, not not like even the the old fossils like Denisovians and and Neanderthals, but even like people who lived four thousand years ago or two thousand years ago or five thousand years ago, or you have that um, you know that uh, body that was found in the Swiss Alps, which belongs to the Neolithic of Europe. So now they are finding that some of these very recent people in Europe that Mm -hmm. they could extract genetic material, Mm -hmm. they are not related to the present day living population of Europe. (laughs) so. There's there's a big uh, difference. So it's what not happened? Did they just go extinct somewhere along the yeah, way? Yeah. So there has been much more population mixing and migrations and local extinctions and again spreading. So now initially, like on the basis of this, they are making some inferences which are going back to Neanderthal times. Right. And now they find that actually there is not a lot of continuity even between the Mesolithic of Europe and the Neolithic of Europe. Mm. Each one of them is a separate migration from Middle East. Mm. And then some places there's more continuity. Some places there is less. So, And then, then you're looking at the genetics of the domesticated animals. But is so there synchronicity across different regions? Have, uh, did man no. go from hunter-gatherer <coughs> to... No, 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 no. there isn't. So mm. what you have to look at is that basically, you know, I've been already saying this, there's three... There's three stages in human evolution, very generally. There's the Australopithecine stage, which so far we think we only have evidence from Africa. But I don't think it was only in Africa. That's my view. Mm -hmm. Then we have Homo erectus. And Homo erectus seems to have a two-stage spread through the world. So you have Homo erectus in the early Pleistocene in Africa and Europe. And then only in the middle Pleistocene, he actually spreads into Europe. Right. And Europe is occupied by uh, uh, by population not related to Homo erectus right. earlier. Right. Then with modern humans, it's the same. You have like uh, like apparently uh, 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 probably around two hundred thousand. That's the maximum diversity of humans in the planet. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. you have we know that there was Neanderthals. They were genetically distinct from us, right. and there is another sp- another sp- another genetically different variety of humans, Denisovians, which have been discovered. Right. And they found that there is uh, some uh, contribution of both Neanderthals and Denisovians into living people. So mm-hmm. they, they were not like biologically different species because there could be some interbreeding. Mm. Now mm. the thing is mm. like these, Denis- these this DNA is only preserved from the areas which are cold enough. So we're only having a sample from temperate from regions. Areas, we have right. no idea what was mm-hmm. happening in India and Africa. Right. So right. we have the fo- actual human fossils about 200,000 years ago in Africa, which are modern. Mm-hmm. But they're using a technology which is ancient. It's an Acheulean technology with these earliest modern humans. How, how far back does that this go? This is 200,000 years. Right. But modern humans, which are biologically look the same, 
Right. They actually don't replace all these other what we are calling now archaic humans mm-hmm. until 40,000 years. Mm. So mm. you had Neanderthals in Europe contemporary with these modern humans in Africa. We have no idea what was happening in India, but mm. definitely India was occupied. So mm. I'm calling those as archaic human, archaic Indians, and they must be have evolved in a different direction from Homo erectus. And then all this diversity reduces at about right. 40,000 years then it's all like this this is modern humans everywhere right now right. this whole development which you from hunting gathering to agriculture to state level society that all happens after this right and that's very interesting aban i mean from a if if we were to just dip into mythology for whatever it's worth and mm. from folk history from um wisdom in general what was happening around the point in time that shila was no no it doesn't go back that far that far obviously no, no, it's, no. it's nowhere there See, like it's 5000 years or thereabouts uh, so i'm uh, what i was telling you like the earliest writing it's just from 5000 years when state level societies first came on the planet right. and these early written records were arch- were excavated by archaeologists so you have the oracle bones in china and you have right. the cuneiform in the middle east but uh, i mean so the big question is when did language happen yeah and probably it's much older so once you have language you definitely would have had myths and stories and all these things i don't think it was just get me the i mean when know. did when yes. did language yeah. happen and what is what is your take on Uh, I think why history happens what we've been talking about so far is is more uh, the scientific study of what we are trying yeah. to arrive at in which we are looking for um, proof and lo- logic and, and 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 chronology yes but mythology is actually quite the opposite of that i think mythology uh-huh. is actually uh, in the realm of uh, hocus pocus if you want to call it that in <laughs> if, if scientists would call it that right uh, because in that they always uh, posit something impossible uh-huh. and then try to make sense of it you know I right mean, if you if you had uh, since you know how children are born and so on right. why would you think of christianity why would you think of you know Correct. holy mary you know Correct. and being Correct. being a virgin or why would in in hinduism you know because it's very clear you have the creator the preserver and, and the, the regenerator or regenerator which we call shiva right. but in so many in, in the vishnu puran for example the preserver is first from his navel is born the creator wow and mm. so you know i don't think we are being logical i think in mythology it, it, it is the you, lack of logic intentional in some way or you think there's been a distortion somewhere along the way i think to add some mystery to the whole thing you know i think it's 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 in if you say a seed is sown and a tree grows right that would be you know biology really you know right. so i think it's better to to create some story which has all about it you know some somebody appears from outer space something is born from the forehead something is born from the underarm right. all these kind of things <laughs> but are but i think these may not like big scientific sense but they make uh, they they still like they they make some emotional sense like if you look at it you know i would i would say like in in hinduism you have the river goddesses yeah. and the mountain goddesses yeah and then so so it makes sense like you know it's a worship of rivers the rivers are personified no, no, i'm, I'm, no, I'm not yeah. saying there's not sense to it you know because yeah. we are talking about geography yeah. behind a, history yeah, so yeah. if yeah. Geog- yeah. geography is that kind of canvas you know right. it says yeah. blank right. and then history is being But painted a, on it you know yeah. in different parts of the world in different mm-hmm. ways right. and in different layers so right. Yeah. Right. i think the earliest evidence of mythology is having burials or some kind of mortuary practices mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. unless you have a belief system underlying it why should you go take so much trouble and uh, mm-hmm. and you do all the rituals because right. we have right. evidence that uh, the burials were not simple there mm-hmm. were rituals performed mm-hmm. so there were flowers for example because you get high density of pollen mm-hmm. near burials right often the burials are in big Uh, using big pottery and so on okay so right. there were quite elaborate things right and unless you have a belief system i don't think you uh, would worry about yes, a dead body yes. as much as, as no much it as took you know. into the realm of what you didn't understand because you know right. even today when we mourn the the death of somebody modern man or ancient man it's it's so final that they have no ex- we have no explanation for it you know there's not room for a dialogue there's not room for touch so when this happened in the past it was even more mysterious that's why they you know said how is this person going to eat so let's put food with him let's put clothes right. with them all <laughs> that you know correct 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 anupam maybe we jump to you because we spoke about the hills at some stage and that kind of 
is an interesting thought. I and mean, when you look at a painting which you have to restore or a work of art which is uh which nature has not been kind to are you are you able to look back and intuit which which kind of environment and geography it may have come from is what is the what is the is there something decoded in there is there a process of encryption decryption that goes on there i think every everything that is created uh-huh. from matter it may happen to be a work of art right but the fact is that every material carries with it very tangible visible elements of how the environment has interacted with it uh-huh. so if you look closely because you're asking about a painting so i'll talk about that right if you look closely at a painting yes you can actually infer uh-huh. almost in a forensic manner how it has behaved over time right how it has degenerated over time what are the what are the oldest paintings like i mean obviously there's rock art and cave paintings yeah there's rock art rock art is the oldest that you can have which right. is manifested and which is available right 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 Right. And you have to, it depends on the if you talk about the geography of things it is if it was found in a desertic environments along with copper pots you might find textiles for example only because the geography in that area allowed allowed it to happen those elements to be saved so that you could write history so does so history does is not something that has just come from geography of course. there have been elements which have taken that information and written it down right right but right. then similarly like you say that geography behind history i think in due course of time history and and There's what a has history happened behind geography. in turn also impacts geography and it could be like well, you know those <coughs> feedback cycles right. one thing leads into the other and things right like right but um, shila if i if i ask you um, is man able to impact nature in any way that is that is even meaningful or tangible from the times on the on the time scales that you deal with people do think so and, and there's no doubt humans have a tremendous impact on the planet today uh-huh. but, uh, but uh, there is that, a big yeah. there's a big discussion about like the pleistocene fauna uh-huh. a, a huge number of species became extinct right so there was a very dramatic climate change environmental change so whether that was the full uh, explanation or whether people Uh, also helped in these extinctions so the thing which supports that people had something to do with it is that the continents where people were living longer uh-huh. there was less extinctions oh. and the places where people arrived recently the extinctions were the maximum This so the the No, so, so the biggest die-off was in Australia when there was a huge megafauna, marsupial megafauna that went extinct. Yes. In uh, New Zealand, there was a, these were these giant birds, moas. They became extinct within a few centuries of people reaching there. Right. And in North America, you have this very good evidence. The, the be- they have some evidence that people reached earlier, but the best connected evidence is what they call Clovis. Right. And you get this very distinctive type of arrowhead or what, what archaeologists call Clovis. projectile points right. right from alaska up to tierra del fuego and oh, uh, within wow. a f- within a few centuries um you know camels horses and these many animals have become extinct so in, but in africa and india it was less yes in europe there was um, a lot of climate change so like obviously reindeer became extinct in paris in you know in france because the tundra disappeared right but right. still uh, you know giant deer giant beaver which are actually uh, adapted to trop- temperate climates they also became extinct yeah so people i think there are yeah. two kinds of reasons yeah. for this pattern yeah. that uh, where people have been living longer they seem to conserve nature around them uh-huh. okay. there are two reasons one is from the what does that mean what is conserving nature uh, there's a co-adaption like yes. you know so both uh, on islands and uh, remote continents like australia right where animals particularly on islands where animals were not used to humans uh-huh. they did not develop the defenses right against human because human as a predator behaves very differently from other predators right okay right. whereas where animals and humans have coevolved for a long time right animals also evolved defenses against the human predator right okay, there is one side of it right the other side of it is if you are stationary in one place and particularly if you settle and this is settling is easier in a richer area 
in a good rainfall, good biodiversity area, right. people could have settled earlier. Right. Now, once you settle in one place in small bands, then you are dependent on a small patch of uh, natural Catch resources. Could be okay. uh, five or ten kilometers in the radius, uh-huh. and then you are dependent on it. At the same time, you have more or less a right on it. You can protect it from others. Right. 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 Because of which you tend to conserve them. Right. Because that is your only livelihood. Right. On the other right. hand, if you are nomadic, right. If you go to a new area, right. You have no sense of possession as well as no sense of responsibility. Correct. And it's sort of a passing thing. Right. right? So uh, a simple analogy is, people often litter the place in railway compartments. Okay. <laughs> But they don't do they that at home. They eat They eat this, that. Right. This they don't do at home. Yes. Okay, yes. and this is because there they are transient only for right. a few hours. They know that they are not going to be here for a long time. Right. The place where they have to stay right. for a long time for generations, they can't afford to destroy. Right, Aman, does that resonate with you? Because you know, obviously, there are migrant cultures, and you know, you suddenly see forts in the middle of nowhere. I mean, is there a pattern to where you found some of your best forts, and is there a pattern to where um, habitat islands have come up in some form or fashion? No, I think um, forts. Um, well, security has to um, come before uh, habitation does. Uh, right. Uh, after at a certain point in history, and um, I think the even forts had to be abandoned because in India, you know, the problem is really about water. You know? Right. So right. in Rajasthan, if you're talking about the Saraswati and all that, you know, when the rivers were, and then there were tectonic movements uh, and uh, in. Sarahan and places like that. So, uh-huh. so an entire river would uh, diverted its course. Right. And and in mythology, about five thousand years ago, they say the Saraswati went underground. Right. And now they've actually found, you know, that there is this water which is stagnant from so many years under that. Right. And, they, and it's it's interesting how mythology and and geography correlate because Correct. Pushkar. Actually, has huge there's river uh, river beds and sand and all that which has disappeared. But five thousand years ago, uh, is, it is must it, have been a thriving place. It, it but, was. But, yeah, it it yeah. was a thriving place. You know. Yeah. So so the, if you had forts and things around that, it's okay. But you can't live up in a fort on a hill without a drop of water. Right. Right. So I think uh, in this right. geography certainly plays a very important part. Right. You had right. To right. Get back. And Sheila, how how frequent are some of these somewhat apocalyptic? type of events or is saraswati vanishing a thing of note at all i was just wondering whether i should even open my mouth on this topic or not is <laughs> indians are obsessed with that saraswati but the geological evidence for it is not there right. and uh, in fact uh, just in january i listened to one very nice talk by dr rajiv sinha uh-huh. they have done a lot of work on this right. and there is this green belt it only shows up on the 1960 uh, satellite image because now the groundwater is so exploited that it's not used any it, it no longer exists right. Right. but they looked at all of this they did the drilling they did the sedimentology they figured out where the sediments are come there is a river there uh-huh but it was already underground resource in the harappan period the harappan sites are also associated with that right but right. when they dated it this river it is a himalayan river also oh is that so but it dates to 40000 years ago not 4000 years ago wow so already at 5000 years this was already a situation of buried saraswati Right. But I was like, when I listened to it, I was more amazed. That right. means that the Harappans are probably more sophisticated than we thought. Like because the settlements do follow this, that right. means they mm. were able to exploit the groundwater. Yeah. Right. That's what I think mm. now. Like yeah. I'm not even sure that was yeah. what he gave in this talk. He's still but going to publish ad- it. But ad- like, yeah. Yeah. other than Saraswati, often they talk also about Patal Ganga, don't they? I don't know, but there have been a lot of changes, and right. that is one thing. Like really, uh, I like no, most people, maybe wonderful. not the people in this room, but you don't you think of the world the way it is now. Yeah. But this environmental change is constant, and the Quaternary is a period of drastic environmental change. How long so it is was that? the last 2 million years right. or 2 and a half million years right so um, we are in a interglacial period of sorts we are now. in the interglacial period and the cl- climates uh, the fluctuations have becoming uh, 
uh, of they're becoming less frequent but of higher amplitude that means right. more severe right. so there's more difference between the ice age climate and the interglacial climate right so every like you know so there it is yeah you could have had a, ri a river in rajasthan now whether it was 5000 years ago or 50000 years ago like i was how oh, that that goes with my like microlithic culture then maybe right. it's very significant for that but even like even minor changes like there was 1000 years of winter rainfall uh -huh. in northern india between uh -huh. like 6 7 and 6000 years that's when all these winter crops came into india but this is before the harappan this was our finding from looking at the lunkaransa lake record uh -huh. the only time that that lake had fresh water was only 1000 years now that 1,000 years wasn't the Harappan civilization. It was before the Harappan civilization. The Harappan civilization started when that lake dried up, not when that lake was full of water. Right. So like, right. Of, you know, there are so many interesting things. So this is something that you have to find out. You have to like, even, even when you look at the medieval period, uh -huh. 1200 AD was a good monsoon. 1400 right. was bad monsoon. Right. Right. And, you know, uh, the Indo-Roman period, the Satwana period was good monsoon. This right. is like all, like, but still, it can locally be something else. Correct, correct. Then it depends, like, what is recording that. Like, I had no, there's a, there's a very um, well-established arid phase at 11,000 years. Uh -huh. I had no evidence of it in the river record. Uh -huh. But when the scientists drilled in that Lonar Lake, they were not allowed to use mechanical drilling. So whatever they could do with non-mechanical drilling, they reached this kind of hard layer. They couldn't go lower. And that is when the lake dried up at like 11,000 years. Why were they not allowed to use? Well, it disturbs things and so on. Anyway, they got the post 11,000 years. That's also quite a big chunk to study. Right. So then maybe right. they'll they'll do that study and show how wonderful it was, and then maybe they'll get the permission to get a bigger record, no? Right. So you right. you go step by step. You show that what you're doing is important, and then pro possibly people will right. agree. So I mean, on a smaller time scale, if we talk of let's say only the last five to six to seven centuries, and at least from a Indian subcontinent standpoint, there's been lots of invasions, people visiting our shores. How 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 dramatically or drastically has um, that impacted the way we see things around ourselves and in the architecture, in the culture, from, from the way you see it? Well, I think you can look at North India and South India. If you see, uh, you know, the difference between them, I think that there's a certain uh, contentment and, 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 and in the South because, right. you know, they're not invaded so often. Right. But... Um, if if you look at the Aryanization of the South, how it happens, uh -huh. you know about the sixth century A.D. Right. You know the South gets um, um, Aryanized, and all the South uh, South Indian gods and goddesses are either you know layered over uh -huh. or adopted into the North Indian system. You know, right. so we get very uh, cr crazy situations like you know the Shiva family. For example, right. If you if you look at uh, you know from the colonial period, we have a kind of group picture: Shiva, Parvati, and Ganesh and Kartikeya sitting like a por portrait. You know, Correct. is made in, in. Correct. But actually, the truth is is, is none of this because Ganesh remains Parvati's child alone yeah. and Kartikeya is Shiva's child alone right because you right. know again as I was saying earlier mythology creates crazy situations so right. Parvati is a virgin goddess right and he is a yogi right so how does a yogi and a virgin produce a family by uh, and by remaining so she produces a child from the dirt in her body he produces a very complicated child from which is Kartikeya <laughs> so uh, the, uh. But through this process you know the Ganesha who is the God of the sugarcane growers of Tamil Nadu gets right. adopted into this, right. and all the war gods of South India get one generic, uh, you know, become son of Shiva, as Kartikeya. Right. So, but Correct. which they are not able to uh, uh, hide because you know when you uh, they were fighting and, and winning territories and so on. Right. So, uh, it's very easy to see how that is still visible because there is no other god perhaps in Indian mythology, which has as many names as the war god, of course. the son of Shiva, you know. Right, so right. He, he's um, uh, Murugan, Shanamukha, Kumara, Velan, Dandapani. I mean, you know, because they, everybody keeps their names and they just say, okay, this is Shiva's son, you know. Right, right, right. So what is mythology a response to? Is mythology retrospective or it's happening? Is, is it a historical event? Is it happening 
as we speak? I would be too. That would be a very complicated question to answer. But uh, you know, it's 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 certainly invented to serve some purpose. You know, right? And uh, in in our uh, society, well, you know, since the Brahmins created the Puranas and so on, there's always a story to it. It, it is a moral to it. You know, right? So if right. the Brahmins wanted to protect themselves, uh, and if let's say killing a cow was a horrible thing to do, uh-huh. so. The, then they would say killing a brahmin is like killing a hundred cows right <laughs> you know so, so this is this is all yeah, invented to to assert a superior position uh, because you have superior knowledge or education or whatever don't right. you think there's right. counter mythology also there is yeah. absolutely yeah. And, you know, and especially when you conquer some uh, uh, when one somebody conquers somebody mm. else look at the myth of mahisha asur mardini that is again the Aryanization thing because in the right. south the buffalo is worshipped like right. the cow was worshipped in the north. Right. So they demonize the buffalo and you know and Devi beca- you know and the demon Correct. comes out. Correct. So I mean, we can only infer many some things from the current day logic and by piecing mm. together. The, that's the myth which I that's found so ecologically correct. Right. Because the this demon god this this goddess is a rides a tiger and the the buffalo is the prey of the tiger mm-hmm. oh. so if you want like actually it's having a warlike woman who kills something yeah. is uh, is but but it makes total sense if she's a tiger right. and this yeah. is a buffalo so this, in that kind of sense like that's what i actually meant when i said like you know even though it's a myth but it's actually exactly like what maybe doctor yeah, yeah. what but, way would say. But they put the demon right. inside the buffalo. You see, yeah, 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 yeah. But they took right. some ecological reality, yes. something that really happens, and then something that's happening on the human stage is put in that term. Yes. And they want right. it to and happen. I yeah. things yeah. have been changing. It's yeah. not that Puranas were written uh, whatever mm. so many centuries ago, and then nothing has changed. Right. The mythology has been changing. It's the changing. rituals have been changing. Mm-hmm. One, one interesting and reinvented. Uh, yeah, one interesting uh, anecdote is mm-hmm. in one remote part of Tamil Nadu, mm-hmm. I witnessed a tribal marriage. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. And they had their own rituals. Right. Okay, which were not the the mainstream Hinduist rituals. They had their own rituals. Right. Interestingly, those rituals had a prominent role for sunglasses. Sunglasses. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is a modern thing, right. but which has entered their rituals as if it was always there. So <laughs> even uh, uh, coconut is not Indian to begin with. Of course. But it entered our rituals at some stage, and it entered as if it was. So it's fluid. There. It's constantly yeah. you know, the, the, It's it's connected to Shiva, right. because the you know it has three eyes. Right. So they say here's it one eye. We're so eye. good at doing. <laughs> That's well, just being off- imaginative. <laughs> and you offer the bilva uh, t- a tree that also has three leaves. Right. So immediately we make connections, symbolism, stories. We're right. so rich. Anupam, if we if we just think of the word heritage, right, and. What 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 is heritage and how does it go from one generation to the other over so many centuries? And what is the way of heritage getting encoded into our practices, into our architecture, into our art, into well, our I food? Well, rather than And how does that, it travel, more importantly? I think I'll take that in line with the conversation that yes, was going on just please. now. When you were talking about the cows and you were talking about anecdotes. Right. It is interesting that and now that you're talking about heritage, if you see yeah. the heritage of manuscripts in India, if you and if you see the colors and the pigments that we used, yeah. naturally they were all drawn from the earth. Yeah. I mean, all of art was created obviously by human beings in right. that sense. Right. With either something came from the earth or from minerals. Right. Or it came from plants. Yeah. So these were the two sources from where things came in. Yeah. Now when you take this aspect of you talked about the river systems and the bells just just connecting all these yes. together yeah the the one pigment that comes to my mind is the indian yellow which uh-huh. is also known as puri uh-huh. now in this belt where the cows were there were also the mango trees that grew in abundance and many of these cows there was a certain sect of gualas uh-huh. who were abhorred because of this practice malpractice in a sense they used to take these cows put them somewhere and feed them force feed them mango leaves oh yeah. and the cows used to become very very sick and they would eventually die uh-huh. lekin marne se pehle 
जो द यूरिन दैट दे यूज टू एग्ज्यूट दैट यूरिन वॉज वेरी रिच इन कैल्शियम एंड मैग्नीशियम सॉल्ट यूगजैन थेट्स एंड अदर थिंग्स एंड दिस वॉज केक्ड इन द सन Right. And then exported to Europe as Indian yellow. It was also used by no, no, artists. No, no, no. We we use that in the fresco painting also. Is in Rajasthan. It's called Gau Goli. Ha, Goli. I don't think it was so dramatic because you didn't have to kill them. If you in the Gau shalas, you fed the cows on mango leaves uh-huh. and you collected their urine, collected which the was urine. you know like you eat vitamin yes. B. You, you yeah. get uh, right. yellow urine. Yellow you know? urine. Then they would uh, bake it and make laddus out of it, ha. and that was used as as, as the, as oh, the yeah. best yellow. Yes, this know? was no right. it, like right. in. in Mongir, right. when you created, you know the the Mongir puri or the Goguli, as you called it. Right. But the fact was, the cows used to get sick. They do get sick, and it was banned on humanitarian grounds by the Protection for Cruelty Against Animals. But when you mean pate, you know what about feeding <laughs> the geese and that? Yes, that is there. Yeah. <laughs> so when you talked right. about that and you right. talk about mythologies, then you mentioned the word ironic. Then it was also ironic in that sense. If you took this as a practice, which was considered right a bit cruel, right. that most of the most beautiful krishna miniatures uh-huh. with that beautiful indian yellow in the background was pitambar the pitambar yeah. right. the colors right pitambar you know so, so it, these are the things that come right 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 so right. the practice itself is your heritage as well as the physical artistic manifestations of them no but there's yeah. also a very interesting yes. thing in the miniature paintings besides plants uh, in in the kangra miniatures they would use the, the wings of the beetle Uh-huh. you know which are hmm. fluorescent hmm. so right. when when yes. you dressed up an emperor in 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 clothes uh, you didn't put uh, rubies and pearls on the you, you took uh, <laughs> the beetle wing which was floral uh, yes yeah. and 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 made tiny bits of it and stuck it stuck there it so it was luminous you know right but right. again from painting also on textiles they put them right small beetle yes. wings yes. on yes. the yes. beautiful mm. I saw some in the Jaipur coat collection. No? Right, some really, right, really right, right. Sheila, maybe we go back a few thousand years again, and maybe hundreds of thousands of years. How did man come to be? What was that journey from Homo erectus to Homo sapiens or uh, Neanderthals to? But how? I mean, how does a transition like like that happen? What What exactly happens, and how universal is that story? <laughs> yeah, that's. A, I I think like when we're talking about art and language, like yeah. there's one very big difference between uh, all the archaic humans and modern humans. The real flowering of art is only when you have modern humans. Right. So this is so uh, distinctive, but it's not like all modern humans produce art. Right. So. Right. like how can you like how do you interpret that like okay they are like less cultural or whatever but right. one thing is that all this rock paintings and so on it's when the modern humans appear right although that modern humans were there earlier in africa but you don't get much art but still you get beads you get some decorated uh, right. objects and so on it's but it's uh, occurring so sporadically nobody quite understands whether we should add this in the definition of modern human right. and if the other humans alive at that time who were quite advanced like neanderthals had a larger brain size than we do uh what does that mean about their behavior was it something inferior and so on all these things are such uh unanswerable questions mm-hmm. so there's the neanderthals are the best known there's very little evidence for this kind of art but their behavior is very complex and they have shown like uh some groups of neanderthals collecting raptor feathers uh-huh. maybe they had some kind of a mythology about that the burials of their dead right. this is again some symbolic thing right. few decorated objects are there few pierced objects that might have been worn so it's very difficult to see this like absolutely but one thing is that that earliest art the rock art it's already like as good as any art produced at any time so it is not something that is progressing with time it's like in some moments some people yeah. somewhere have done the best art that could be done any time yeah. so from art also, also it's it's yeah. an accident of history no, uh, no not exactly accident of history i guess it depends on the society right. whether it uh, you know right. um, supports that or requires it Right, right. Uh, art, art right, also right. depends. I would also, and also even there. being preserved. Yes. Like people might have had lots of art that, like they didn't do it on walls. Yeah, it's also mm-hmm. a question also of what you find. I would also add whether the environment allowed that. Ah, okay. uh, so but like what doesn't way, allow art? Like no, no. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, for example, uh, art in the form of so art a a, a carved weapon. You're not going to throw and forget about it. 
Okay, so it's an, it's, it an, it's an important position. It's not only a tool. Okay. Right, right. And positions have a limit if you have a predator. Yeah. Okay. And human ancestors certainly had predators uh, at the early... At some stage, the predators seem to have disappeared. Uh -huh. okay. But until then, having positions would be impossible because all the time you have to be alert right. and ready for a fight or flight anytime. Yeah. And you can't afford to have too many positions on your shoulder. What do you think led to that? Why, why have predators disappeared all of yeah. a sudden? One possibility is we started the retrieving our dead relatives back. Okay, from uh -huh. scavengers and predators. Right, right. And this is important because killing human is, of course, there is some cost for the predator. Yeah. There's a cost in killing any prey. You have to wait, you have to yes. uh, follow up, you have to stalk, you have to yeah. spend substantial time and energy, yeah. which is true for killing a human as well. Yeah. After spending all that, if they are not allowed to eat, yeah. because others come and take the dead body back, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then killing humans is not profitable for the predator. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A good evidence for this is so many times in the written record, uh -huh. whenever death rituals were given up by a community uh -huh. living close to a forest, incidence of man eaters increased immediately after. Oh, that. is that so? Okay. So this happened. Mm. So so there is record of this after the Second World War in Burma, uh -huh. in Myanmar, right. where because of jungle warfare. Right. So many soldiers were dead and were not found. Right, okay. right. Immediately right. after the Second World War, the incidence of man-eating by tigers increased. Right, okay. right. The same record is there in uh, Kumao Himalayas after influenza epidemic. Right, okay. right. There is a similar story in Africa. There is a similar story in Madhya Pradesh. Right. Where following large-scale deaths and where the death could not be, the dead could not be cremated or buried, there is an incidence of man-eating. That's interesting. Mm. So mm. after mm. people started giving ritual treatments to their dead, mm -hmm. they systematically discouraged predators. Mm -hmm. And then the ecology changed substantially. Right. There is a sudden right. growth of material culture because now you can have positions. Right. Right. Once you have positions, uh, nomadism becomes more and more difficult. Yeah. Then you are forced to settle in one place. Yeah. If you settle in one place and forage around for a sufficiently long time, yeah. then you tend to overconsume the natural food resources. Yeah. And then you are compelled to grow your own food. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is yeah. a logical chain of events yeah. which yeah. begins with burials. So I think that burials and the the sudden burst of material culture after burials may not be a coincidence. There right. is a logical link behind that. Right. That's very interesting. Are there are there clues to that effect, Amun, in the I mean, has, has man just protected himself against fellow men or is there this predator-prey dynamics think, to... Well, it, no, it's, it's most interesting what uh, what we are, we are hearing. But, you know, the thing is, when you t think of natural barriers, let's look yeah. at the Himalayas, for yes. example. Yeah. Uh, at, at level one, it's a barrier. Yeah. But then man l loves challenge, you know. Yeah. There, there were men who said, what is this? Let's get across this, you know. Right. If it wasn't so, then we wouldn't have had the Yuchi come across the you know the Himalayas from, uh, from the east and uh, give uh, give us uh, you know uh, uh, slanted uh, eyes slanted or, or eyes. the Mongolians <laughs> come they could have gone down into the plains you know right but I think this whole thing about challenge and mystery and what is this why is this thing you know now we hear about armies which uh, Alexander's army and then yeah, uh, other armies which were near Hemkund you know which correct, lost their way correct but there are those who made their ways across you know which mixed blood mixed uh, everything so I think um, we've got everything, you know. We must have got people who have no desire for uh, adventure, people who have desire to, you know, challenge to sit on a raft and go across the sea and reach some... And when, when people travel thousands of kilometers to whether to invade or just out of some kind of innate curiosity, does I mean, what, what stays constant and what changes? Do they adapt along the way? What has been happening? So, I mean, obviously there is this... Um, I think they become innovative. I think they realize that sense that, I mean, they have these exigencies and they have to overcome them. 
uh-huh. and i think the innovativeness and the humanness of people comes forth i think so many latent characteristics come forth in times of you know, when we see indians and mexicans have many things in common mm-hmm. you know right. or mm-hmm. the gypsies you know which are in europe you know the, right. uh, the and with the gypsies of rajasthan the banjara uh, it's phenomenal yeah. to think you know where, where where is the banjara in rajasthan yeah. and, and what is the distance they travel and and they carry the co- or the greeks you know which come to bharmor in himachal you know yeah. the, their mm-hmm. dress is is greek yeah so i i think I, so you I, think they are the same people yes they you know the people who came across you know i mean they uh, i mean i i'm uh, let's say i'm in the crazy lot of uh, our contemporaries why would anybody go in the middle of nowhere look at a ruin you know in and right. re- <laughs> re-inhabit it so correct so correct you performing the same function it's yeah in, in, in a much more privileged way <laughs> right but you know right, there there are right. others one one kind of person would come to the edge of the sea and just bow and bend and say this must be the great water god yeah. but somebody else would you know sit on the raft and plunge go and reach an island right. so i think we've got all kinds of people is this a evolutionary biological thing that humans like to just plunge into these unknown and do, do, a, do other animals do it is there uh, yes they do <laughs> yeah uh, we often hear this from elephants yeah okay uh-huh. this the small bands of elephants only migrate and come into bangalore city okay so Correct. they have to walk Uh, they have to come out of forest and walk at least 30 kilometers to enter a city right but they suddenly seem to do this right but are there are there mm. like for example how different is this from the cases of the siberian cranes migrating a long distance away and is that uh, some other phenomenon no, no, there are two different two things that migration is routine right okay every year they migrate right okay. what we are talking about is a sudden and spontaneous movement Correct, which is a movement. Yes. Yes. It's movement yes. from A to B. Yes. It's a spontaneous Sheila, moment. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. one thing, yeah, like I was when you when you start on this topic, I was thinking like, okay, is it the people who stay are very happy to stay in one place? Are, is that more common, or the people who would what is with the opportunity immediately go? Right. So I yes. think it's actually innate that people want to see. They're curious and they would like. To they like to go. Yeah. I think the but people who want to stay, yes. they may not be the actual migrants. But there are other right. factors as well. So, for example, we see that before the European expansion, there was substantial environmental degradation in Europe. Right. Okay. Right. So right. I can understand one person being adventurous and just wants so you to migrate because out of because of a crisis. But he needs hundred other people to travel the boat with him. Yeah. To travel with him. Of All of them. I don't think just had the. Yes, it was the not the same yes, common urge, yes. but but. <laughs> so there was a necessity almost. Life in Europe was becoming too. difficult. Yeah. See, we talk about uh, India has only 11 percent forest left, and there is a, a huge and cry. Uh, England at that time had only 4 percent forest cover left. Oh. Okay, so people had problem in um, overwintering. Uh, what to have for the fires so often there are local drivers uh-huh. which are hardly which hardly get recorded in history right so for example we are studying agriculture uh, in a area close to a tiger land okay okay and there now all modern tools are available right okay people have access to bt cotton and all hybrids and everything Correct, of course but agriculture there is too tough right okay. it's right. extremely impossible to protect Uh, your crop from wild animals right. and farmers close to the park to the national park uh, incurs 70% loss of crop right in spite of today they have torches they have crackers they have all despite uh, the technology right. that they have at their disposal so yeah. i think that unless there is sufficient environmental destruction uh-huh. agriculture cannot begin right right so right. number of environmental changes must be the drivers of number of human activities right. but they don't get recorded in history right because that awareness is only recent right 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 and shila this i mean if if we think of uh, you know we're talking about how things travel from one place very far away and so on for example if you look at the ashulian technology in different parts of the world do from a from a artistic standpoint I mean, they were not meant to be artistic they were very functional tools for whatever they're worth yeah they're are, still are they beautiful can you look at yeah. two different ashulian tools and say this is from france and this is from india uh no no that's a different question actually uh one thing i just wanted to respond about this my yeah. you know spreading and yeah. all that yeah. is that like you have to look yeah. at the ecology yeah if the ecological conditions are correct are right 
suitable for any species, not just humans, right. plants, animals, insects, bacteria. If those conditions are there, then usually that species is there. Yeah. So this is some like general thing. We don't need a special explanation. Okay, why did people go from here to there? Right. Right. Uh, you know, they're always it's like a combination of uh, factors always, which always want. They always like. There's always some population pressure where people want and need new opportunities. Yeah. And if they can, if they can do it, they'll take advantage of that. Yeah. Maybe every, maybe there's some variation in the adventurous versus the non-adventurous. But this happens with even, even trees also manage to colonize places even when they don't have feet. They send their seeds there. Right. So right. Uh, this is not right. really the the issue about it. It's about how the ecology changes and how uh, how these differences develop. Yeah. So as yeah. as man challenges nature also, you know. So man every single thing challenges nature. It's a kind of ecosystem. It's like yeah. everyone, all the different species and populations struggling. So the there's always a the con like this all. It's a quest for survival at the end. No, of see, like what happens is the closer the two species or populations are to each other, yeah. the more the competition. Yes. So the driving thing is to reduce com competition by slightly changing the ecological niche. Uh -huh. So if there is one where, when different species are in competition, they, they will become more different from each other so that they share the resources and their competition is reduced. Right. Right. Is, am I right? Yeah. Is, yeah. is, Milan, sure. is that the dispersal, concept of speciation? Yeah. Dispersal yeah. is yeah. a tendency that you see wide across yeah, all throughout the right. uh, living uh, kingdom. Right. Uh, the mode of dispersal, the mechanism of dispersal, the seasonality of dispersal is highly variable across species. But right. dispersal is an innate tendency which is there in humans as well. Right. But what Aman is pointing about is something different. Yeah. Okay. There is a huge barrier which yeah. looks like intractable. Yeah. And still some people venture into yeah, that. Yeah, why would he go all the way across, a him, across the Himalayas? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, yes. Right. So, so the, the, the sense of adventure is certainly there. Yeah. Okay. There's no denial of that. Yeah. But it is, I think it is both. Yeah. Okay. There is some, something pressing you from behind because there is too much competition here. Yeah. And if you cannot survive here, then yeah. let us try something else. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So this is one of the drivers. Yeah. The other is, of course, you have to have uh, a personality or a tendency that allows you to make an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And that is also yeah. highly variable across. And does that end up becoming? I mean, if you obviously, if there is a group of people who've crossed the Himalayas, I mean, does that lead to something as significant as genetic changes? Are people who? No. No. So I don't those? think these are genetic changes. Right. Okay. Right. right. But when people. Uh, migrate in small bands uh -huh. then there are certain biological effects which are called genetic drift or founder right. effect right. because of which when a small band migrates to a new place right. and colonizes there uh -huh. some genetic changes follow right okay but they follow they don't lead okay That's so people don't go there because of a genetic change yeah, yeah. they yeah. go there and yeah. because yeah. of the population drift yeah. some genetic changes do happen yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But naturally, if you're living in the Gangetic Plain, for example, where the crops are good, why would you land up in Jaisalmer and roast yourself? Correct. Why would you b go and live in Greenland? Those right. Are those are curious things, you know. Yeah, why right. did they call it Greenland, though? Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's why did they call it Greenland? And talking about these genetic yeah. drifts, it happens with art also. Is that so? As hmm. art travels yeah. across areas, yes. you know, the availability of a certain pigment may not be there, or the binder may be different. Right. Or the storytelling may change. So I think all these things are impacted just as much as in art as perhaps also in your clothes you're wearing, your textiles, your fabrics, your sculpture. Right, right. The right, availability right. of your tools and of the materials themselves. And right. So the interesting genetic drifts into these things. That's very interesting. Sheila, is there, is there how stable has geography been on a, on a very, very long span of time? I mean, cl clearly as we were discussing a little while ago, we tend to confuse present for yeah, when I when I uh, heard this topic, I was thinking like, okay, history is time and geography is space. Yes. So we're in a way like you know, it's even like more universal and more generalized yes, than like it's what a space we have time been, discussion. Uh, yeah. what we are discussing. So which is affecting which? Yeah. So like the geography is like the physical background. Obviously, it affects what's happening. Yes. But sometimes some accidents in what happening may determine something that happens later. 
then if you like now when you asked me i was just thinking about that climate change yes, the point i, I made that, that like mm. the the environment is like if you think of geography as environment yeah. then that is also not stable through time so there is again an interaction like at every time if you like just think about bombay yeah where when the sea level was lower this was not the on the coast the coast was some and yeah. maybe i don't yes. know i'm not sure how it, but it was yeah. not on the coast the coast was somewhere yeah. in this where is now yeah, the ocean land yeah and so yeah. you had all these changes that are happening every time has a different geography in yeah. the sense in this general sense all of these things are obviously it, it matters these environmental things matter in what happens yeah. and then they do have a residue like it does because something happened something else happened there's a direction to that time and how sudden are these shifts for example the interglacial period we are in oh this is also very uh, like it's uh, not straightforward for sure yeah. no no it's very interesting like first yeah. first like nobody had this concept that the past was so different yeah. that was one reason that this whole geological thing didn't get accepted because yes. in europe there was all the evidence of this ice age yeah. and it was taken that this that they're correlating to the bible and this is this is what noah's flood yeah but then they said okay ha huh, no this is the, what the deposits of glaciers look like yeah there was a huge ice sheet covering the whole of europe most of northern europe that's right then multiple ice ice ages right but it was the ocean but, but the continuous record first came from the ocean and they only had the technology to drill the ocean after the second world war right so when they got these long right. ocean cores which gave a kind of continuous record of the quaternary mm-hmm. they found that instead of four ice ages uh-huh. which is what they thought there were i eight ice ages within only half of the quaternary period oh so these wow. ice ages had a period of like about 100000 years instead of multiple hundreds of thousands of years right. so then they right. looked at the land record and they found it like this is now very well established it's like the bible of quaternary science this oxygen isotope stages right but then when they started to look at the ice record from these continental ice caps which is again continuous but not going back so far they're getting a resolution like the ocean record had a maximum resolution of a few hundred years now you're getting year by year record in the ice mm. and they found like they go through the holocene the last 10000 years there are changes but nothing like they knew about these changes already but when they went into the ice age they found that there are time periods of only a few thousand years uh-huh. where the climate was as warm as today mm-hmm. and then it went back to cold mm-hmm. like how does a global a system years. change like that right mm-hmm. no but still like not sure about it's it talking about what shilaji singh about how systems change like that yeah. if you go by the gaia theory Yeah. which believes yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that living organism which was a hypothesis earlier it's now yeah. at least been accepted as a theory that the earth is a living organism yeah and then it is earth as an intelligent organism yeah that governs its species you know right. and it's not most, the human naturally that most is the most geologists like this is not this right. is kind of yes. mythical yeah. <laughs> right. so right. but at the same time there's so many feedbacks that happen yeah, yeah. Yeah. and there are unintended consequences yeah so like you know the oxygen in the atmosphere of the earth was actually a poisoning of the atmosphere by the living things there the oxygen was their waste product yeah. right. and it killed them off but then that oxygen actually turned out Has to be so important later oxygen is oxygen yeah purpose. yeah yeah can can geography geology environment be a predictive tool is it possible for you aman to look at what will be the force of 10000 years later you know what i mean will what's going to be the equivalent of what is going to have to be restored and what's going to stand the test of time and just stay there it's difficult to say you know because uh, whatever we um, pro- uh, foresee for the future in the 19th century we thought the 20th century was going to be a rational century we're going to be turned out so to be exactly the opposite it turned out to be more fanatical more crazy That's so right. i don't i don't think man is on the right path you know to know too much is not necessarily to be wise i think right. to know too much can also be self destructive right so um, we can just prophesy but right. uh, certainly man isn't going to let themselves be at peace you know yes yep. <laughs> yeah we're going to be self destructive in in as as we can see you know whether right. whether right. we take the pretense of religion or whatever guys we take you know we find a reason to fight we find a reason to destroy and that is uh, quite sad you know 
Right. Education right. should really have taught people to get somewhere, you know, at least to learn to live in peace. And I think this whole business of saluting um, flags and national anthems is actually very medieval, you know. Yeah, I mean, of course. I think internet is the, is the only god, you know, because it has no boundaries, no color, no, no, no you know. Right. <laughs> so perhaps it's very interesting. Milin, is, 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 there, is there some biology at work or it's how, how stable are genes? Are we... Well, ready to go is there something yeah, funny around the corner never stopped and it will never stop right okay, so these changes will keep on happening right but uh, in any complex system you can at the most make short term predictions because everything will be an emergent behavior in some way yes yeah, yeah. so yeah. Uh, a good example is monsoon yeah right yeah it is easier to predict next 48 hours yeah extremely difficult to predict in the long run Right, right, right. The same right. is true for any complex system, whether it yeah. is human culture, history, yeah. ecology, evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Making long-term predictions is extremely tough. Yeah. Not only because the system is inherently complex, there are also other effects. Correct. There are external effects. Correct. Okay, so, for example, the dinosaur extinctions are now believed to be because of a large meteor that hit Earth. Right. Now, this is completely unpredictable. Correct. And this is not this is not too. based on ecology on Earth. This is an entirely extra external extra, extra uh, factor almost. Right. Right. And because such external factors can affect any time. Yeah. Okay. I don't think you can make any long-term predictions. Terrific. 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 Thank you so much for your time. It's been great speaking with all of you. Anupam, thank you for your time. Uh, we look forward to seeing you again. Thanks. Take care.